Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Revelation chapter 21. Now, if this were a 60-minute podcast instead of a 15-minute podcast, I think I would begin by reading all of Isaiah 65 and 66, and I think I would read huge swaths of Ezekiel 40 to 48. Because almost all of the imagery in Revelation 21 and 22 is taken from those Old Testament passages. Now, obviously, we don't have time to do that. But I'd like to encourage you to do that on your own time. Go and read those passages and then come back and read Revelation 21 and 22. And it will literally open your eyes and it will tremendously deepen your appreciation of the teaching in these passages and the glories that lie ahead. It will be worth your time. For now, uh, let me just read you a few highlights. Let me start with Isaiah 65, 17. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Remember that phrase. You're going to hear it again. All right? So the new heavens and the new earth are going to be a place of new beginnings. They're also going to be a place of new relationships within creation. Listen to Isaiah 65, 25. It says, The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain." says the Lord. So the new heavens and the new earth are going to be a place of peace and restored relationships. All right, fast forward to Isaiah 66, verse 2. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So the new heavens and the new earth are not for everybody. There, there is, let's be very clear, there is no universalism in the Bible, Old Testament or New. No doctrine is taught more clearly in the Bible than this. Salvation is exclusive. It is available to all, but it is exclusive to those who are in right relationship with God. And here in Isaiah 66 too, that right relationship is described as one of humility and contrition. Contrition means something very close to repentance and submission to the word of God. Let me read that again. This is the one to whom I will look, right? Everybody wants to be a part of this new heavens and new earth. Everyone in their right mind wants to be a part of it. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Isaiah 66, 22 to 24 goes on to say, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, 
and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. So the new heavens and the new earth are everlasting, and those who live there are everlasting. But so we learn, so it is with those outside. Outside are those who have rebelled, and their worm does not die, and their fire is not quenched. Now, all of this imagery informs the vision that we see in chapter 21. Tomorrow, we'll look at some imagery from Ezekiel 40 to 48 that informs what we see in these chapters. But for now, let's get into our text, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, the fact that it contains no sea is a cause of interest. The the sea in the Old Testament was a symbol of chaos and death and separation. I'm I'm actually taping this in uh, in Newfoundland, and I can tell you that there is quite a separation caused by the sea between Newfoundland and the mainland. And of course, the sea is a symbol of separation. And of course, therefore, it has no place in the renewed universe, in the new heavens and the new earth, because the emphasis there is on community, it's on togetherness, and it's also on order and life and safety. And you're always hearing stories. I was just told yesterday about a a group of, of people who were going, flying over the sea in a helicopter to visit an oil platform out in the sea, and the helicopter crashed, and everyone on it was tragically killed. So the sea... If you live anywhere near the sea, you know it's a symbol of separation and danger. And of course, there's no place for those things in the new heavens and the new earth. There will be no danger. There will be no separation. Now, if you're, if you're one of those people who only thinks about the sea in terms of you know, water sports, don't be alarmed. I'm sure there'll be plenty of lakes and rivers. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Here at the end of John's apocalypse, all of the images and symbols begin to kind of coalesce and collide. The city is the bride. The bride is the city. The city's wearing a wedding dress, which is unusual, right? All these symbols are coming together. The key point is that she comes down from heaven. The eternal kingdom does not come up out of our efforts. You know, I, I'm not a fan of that phrase, you know, building the kingdom of God brick by brick. It, it, it just doesn't sound like what we see in the Bible. Rather, we see this kingdom coming down from heaven. It's ultimately of grace. It's ultimately a gift. The, the city is the people and the place where the people live with God. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Now, this is really the climax of the whole Bible. This this is what we've been waiting for. The whole aim of the Bible has been to show how we get back to the place where we live with God. I mean, we started there. Right? Way back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then the whole sin thing happened in Genesis 3. And now the question for the rest of the Bible is, how do we get back? That's, that's been the storyline. And here we see we're back. We are back with God again. We are his people and he is with us. 
The Greek word translated as tabernacle there is skene, and it means more than tent. It implies the very presence of the Lord, as per Leviticus 26.11, where it says, I will set my tabernacle, same word in the LXX, among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. God will literally walk among his people in the person of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Verse 4, Revelation 21, 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So this is nothing less than the reversal of the curse. What fell on us because of sin is lifted from us by grace and enjoyed by us in the presence of the Lord. So, verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things New. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Now, that's a near quote from Isaiah 65, verse 17. And, and this prophetic promise is carried forward, if you will, from Isaiah to John, and it now becomes our present possession and certain hope. Verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Now, this is an example of what's called sometimes prophetic certainty, when future events are actually spoken of sort of in the past tense. They're done, in a sense. God has promised, and therefore God will do it. And because of that, you will drink it. Verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So here, the elect saved person is called he who overcomes which is a rather important reminder that saving faith is persevering faith. And the term son there is not a reference to gender. It's a reference to being an heir, as in you will inherit the world. That's a good thing. Verse 8, But as for the cowardly, the faithful, uh, faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, as we saw in Isaiah, there is an outside and an inside to the eternal kingdom of God. All the cowardly, which here almost certainly means those who were afraid to stand for Christ, all of the faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars will be outside in the lake of fire, which is the second death. Verse 9, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Notice now that the church is the wife, not just the bride. We're in the consummated kingdom of God now. We're in the time of new and eternal intimacy. Thanks be to God. Verse 10, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. 
And on the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now, notice the twelve and twelve again. You've got gates named after the twelve tribes of Israel. You've got foundations named after the twelve apostles. This is a way of saying that the city contains the whole people of God, Old Testament and New. Verse 15 to 16 says, And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. Now, much of the symbolism is lifted wholesale from Ezekiel. We don't have time to read that, but I hope you will. The important thing to notice is that the city is a perfect cube. Now, there's only one other perfect cube in all the Bible, and that is the Holy of Holies in the sanctuary of God. So this is a way of saying that the whole city now is the Holy of Holies. Every one of God's people enjoys total, complete, and perfect intimacy with Jesus Christ. The enormous size of the city, I mean, 12,000 stadia, is about the distance from New York to Houston, Texas. It's a massive city, and that's meant to communicate that there's room for everyone. Perfect intimacy for all the people of God. That's what's being communicated. All right, we carry on. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. Foundation of the wall of the city was adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. Now, the numbers here are obviously symbolic. 144 is 12 times 12. And, and, and thus again, we have an indication. This is the whole people of God, Old Testament anew. This is their home, and it's beautiful. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Now, again, we see here, this is not a city with a temple. This city is a temple. Verse 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Now, just notice, it doesn't say that they have no sun or moon. It just says they don't need it. And, and so, in, in the same way that, you know, when it's bright outside on a beautiful day, you, you can't see the stars in, in the sky because the sun is so brilliant, but the stars are still there. And so maybe that's what we're seeing here. We don't actually need the light of the sun or the moon because we have the light of Christ. But they still may be there. Verses 24 to 26. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Now, notice, and this may be a surprise to some, notice that there are even... In the eternal kingdom, where Christ is Lord, there are nations and there are kings. There are human leaders. And so I suppose if you hate all forms of human authority, it may take you a while to get used to heaven. 
Now, this passage also implies that there'll be culture and commerce in the eternal kingdom and taxes and tribute. (laughs) The word for honor there means tribute. It means a monetary gift expressing loyalty, submission, and gratitude. You see, the Bible's vision of eternity is not about people in white robes floating around on clouds playing harps. Now, the souls of the martyrs kind of look like that while they're waiting for the consummation, but they don't want to stay like that. Their cry is, how long, O Lord? They, they are longing for vindication and consummation, and they're longing for the resurrection bodies. And they're told to be patient and wait, and they will have those things. You see, eternity is physical and bodily. There will be commerce. There will be countries. There will be leadership. There will be wealth production. There will be tribute, and there will be worship. Because all of that is worship when done for the glory of God, as it was meant to be done in the beginning. Verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And thus ends the chapter. It ends on a similar note that we see in Isaiah 66. You see, the eternal kingdom is not for everybody. It is only for those who have a right relationship with God. Now here we're told that it's only for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. If your sins have not been paid for by the blood of Christ, if if the righteousness of Christ has not been credited to your account, if you are not in him through faith, then you will be outside forever. So come. Come unto Jesus and be saved. Thanks be to God. Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just type Into the Word into the search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word. Thank you.